No matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, we want you to feel welcome in RUF. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we're one of the many campus ministries here at Wofford College walking alongside you to help you grow in your faith. I'm Matt Patrick. I'm the campus minister with Wofford RUF. I met uh, several of you tonight for the first time. And again, um, friends of RUF, friends of mine, Ivy, it's good to, to see you tonight. I was going to say, we're continuing or concluding our Genesis series, but we're not. We're done with that. We're going to be in John's gospel tonight. And I'll tell you, um, I have just been praying through what in the world am I supposed to say uh, my last night with you all? Um, what in the world? How can I make this unique and special? Um, here, here's what I want to do. I want to do what we've been doing every week for the past five years. Open the Bible, read it, and see Jesus, and worship, and go to bed. <laughs> like, I want us to open the Bible and see the beauty of Jesus. That's all I want to do, and that's all that I got. This is God's word. He is not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. Here it is. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus, asked, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Verse 28. When he had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she had heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary and quickly rose quickly and to go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come to also um, come with her also to weep, 
he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let me pray, and we'll walk through it. Lord, we know your word is living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active. We have experienced your living and active word every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock when we open and read it and discuss and sink our teeth into the beauties of Jesus Christ. And we have an unbelievable story tonight with good news where we see... You do work on a dead man that you will do with us one day because you are not dead. You are alive and death indeed is defeated. So Lord, help us no matter where we find ourselves tonight, how busy and hurried our minds and hearts are. You know all that about us, what we're going to say before we speak. Hairs on our head, you know all of it. So just quiet us down for a few minutes once more. In Christ's name, amen. Here's the game plan. The game plan is grace in our grief, resurrection, hope. Those are our two points. Grace in our grief, one. Second, resurrection, hope. Let's do the first one. Grace in our grief. So most of us, when we think of Jesus, we think of the big events of Jesus' life. Rightfully so. Cross, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, all these big events things that we celebrate about Christ's life. And oftentimes when we celebrate these big events of Christ's life, we forget that Jesus was a normal human. He had a normal job. He got invited to weddings. He had friends. He was a carpenter. Y'all, he had like water cooler conversations with his carpenter buddies. Jesus had friends. And we read that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are some of his closest friends. And his heart is aching for them. That's what we read. You need to feel that the human, the humanity and the raw humanity that you see in Jesus before we go to resurrection hope. Okay? Jesus is both God and man, the Christian faith teaches. And we see that beautifully tonight. So I just want to highlight Jesus's humanity. So I want to ask, how does Jesus respond to our grief in a fallen world? How does he respond? The first thing that we see is that he responds to grief and our tears with his presence. 
He responds to our grief with His presence. Jesus comes close. Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. Jesus is not an apathetic, far-off, distant deity who's looking at us in our grief and our tears, tapping His foot, waiting for us to just get our acts together and say, okay, I'm waiting for you to come to me to figure out this Christian life thing. No, He looks at us and knows that our hearts are breaking and He knows how evil death and sickness and sin is and He actually goes close to us in the impossibility of sin and shame and sickness. That's what we see. How about these familiar words? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? You are with me. You are with me. You come close to me. When it gets as dark as it can get, you are close. Presence. He is near to this family, and he is near to you right here tonight. So it's my last night, so we got to talk about the office. And we got to talk about Toby. All right, Toby, again, the, the beloved and awkward HR manager for Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. And there's a scene where Toby finds himself in a cathedral with a large, you know, it looks like a th- cathedral. It is a cathedral. He's alone, and he finds himself isolated after a typical Toby friendship or, like, dating, nightmare, brokenhearted situation. Disaster, a Toby disaster. And he's alone, and he looks up, and he lifts his eyes to the heavens, and he says these honest words to God. God, why do you got to be so mad at me? He says it with that, like, little pitiful Toby tone. And the funny thing is about Toby, it's just how, like, alone he is how endlessly alone Toby is and how Michael loves, not just that he's in misery, but that he's alone. And that's, it highlights Michael's cruelty all the more. Because here's why, like when our hearts are breaking, what you and I most want is someone to be near. And we want to feel someone close. And the sadness of Toby is that no one is close. And you and I want nearness and presence. We don't want someone to be far off. One of the best things that I've ever read about grief is this book. I've, I've given this book away in five years more than any other book in RUF, and it's called Lament for a Son by Nicholas Wolterstorff. Nicholas Wolterstorff was a theology professor, and his son died tragically in a mountain climbing accident at a really, really young age. And this little book is his essentially like journal entry, poetically, theologically accurate, and amazing reflections, very raw on his grief of his son. And he's talking about how he needs people to be close to him, but people don't know how to comfort people in their grief. And this is what he says. Please, this is in your handout, if you want to follow along. Please, don't say that it's not really that bad, because it is. Death is awful, demonic. If you think your task as comforter is to tell me that really all things considered, it's not so bad. You don't sit with me in my grief, but place yourself off in the distance away from me. Over there, you are of no help. What I need to hear from you is that you recognize how painful it is. I need to hear from you that you are with me in my desperation to comfort me. You have to come close. Come sit beside me. 
on my morning bench. Jesus draws near to the brokenhearted. Jesus drew near to this brokenhearted family, and Jesus draws near to you. The next thing that I want you to see, not just the grace of his presence, but the grace of his tears, the grace of Jesus's tears. The shortest verse in the Bible, you might know, Jesus wept. We read that verse. Jesus weeps with his friends. Jesus was deeply moved. Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he found himself essentially having close to a panic attack in the Garden of Gethsemane. And some of the same Greek language is there describing Gethsemane, him being deeply moved, thinking the horror of the cross and of crucifixion. And he is deeply moved by seeing the death of his friend and the tears of his sisters. He's deeply moved because Jesus hates death and his tears show us that. Jesus is showing us that as the scriptures tell us, death is an enemy. Death is an intruder that does not belong in God's creation. That's what we've seen in this Genesis series, right? Sin, sickness, and death doesn't belong. It's a parasitic power that leeches on to God's good creation. It doesn't belong. Of course he's weeping. We'll get to see what he does about it. He doesn't just weep over it. He defeats it, but that's point two. I want you to see the deep human consolation of Christ's tears. God weeps. If he weeps for his sisters here, I think he would have called them sisters. He has to weep for you. In your sickness, sin, and shame, and the way that it has affected you in your life, the way that you have been sinned against in your life, the way that you have been abandoned by family members that should have been consistent, the way that anxiety and depression and panic attacks are so out of control and you feel like you can't get a hold of this addiction that you know there's like, yeah, I'm responsible and there's probably some stuff going on chemically that's out of my hands. There has to be tears if Jesus is a gracious, near Savior. And I want to suggest to you that he is not looking at your weeping, tapping his foot, waiting for you to dry your eyes. Let's go to the second one to see what he does about tears. He doesn't just give us his presence and give us consolation with his tears. He defeats death. He doesn't just move towards us in our grief. We have resurrection hope. Jesus doesn't just weep over it. He defeats it. Frederick Dale Bruner, I love this. Listen to this. Very simply, death meets Jesus and Jesus conquers. Death meets Jesus. Jesus conquers. With a loud voice, Jesus cries out to his friend, Lazarus, come forth. And with one sentence, death is no more. It is like a bad dream for that family. The dead man came out. He was bound. Another translation says there was a napkin still over his face. And Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go home. Let's review. Let me remind you 
who is speaking that man's name. The same word who who spoke creation into existence. The same word who calmed a storm during a hurricane for his friends. The same word that saved a family from embarrassment at a local wedding turned water into wine to the brim. The same word who looks at lame and blind and sick and with a few words, impossible sickness, gone. That is who's calling Lazarus by name. It's the same word. It's the word made flesh. Over and over again, what we see is that Jesus goes right into the darkness of not just like dark situations or manageable situations, impossible situations. I think that little detail that he essentially, he has an odor because he's been dead for four days is there for emphasis. This is impossible. They've already, like, think of where they probably were in the grieving process. Like, it's impossible. And that's where Jesus wants to go. That's where he wants to go. Over and over again, we see him going to impossible situations, bringing resurrection life there. And scholars note that in raising Lazarus from the dead, he is pointing to his own resurrection. Everybody says that. Jesus is saying, you see what I just did to my friend Lazarus? That's what I'm about to do soon. And if I'm about to do that soon, and he, I'm paraphrasing, he says it in the text. If you link up with me, you won't ever die. You will raise up. I'll call you by name. Lazarus is my sheep, and you are my sheep, and I'll call you to get up out of the grave. If you have a speck of faith, that's going to happen to you. We've been talking about union with Christ a little bit. Union with Christ. What is true of Jesus is true of you. It's one flesh language. It's marriage language. His death is your death. And in our case, His resurrection is your resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection is Jesus' resurrection. The song's from last week. Not Yet not I, but Christ in me. My favorite line. My life is wholly bound to His. His death is my death. His life is my life. His resurrection is my resurrection. Listen to how Apostle Paul puts it in, in 1 Corinthians 15. But in, if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, Adam, a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, in tears and sorrow and sickness and death, we don't just have the solidarity of Jesus' tears. We don't just have the grace of his presence. We have him conquering it once and for all. And that is why we can know fully and finally that he will wipe away all tears. Not because that's a nice thing to say, but because he got up out of a grave and no one can do that. Only Jesus Christ can conquer death. He's not negotiating with death. You don't want someone to do that. He's not making a, 
he is defeating it. It is the enemy. He will crush the serpent's head. I want you to think about this for a second. Every week, Christians gather around a table throughout the world and they feast. At the Lord's Supper, they feast. Here is what the church around the world celebrating the Lord's Supper is in a fallen world. It's like all of us going and calling in an order from the Kennedy in Spartanburg, thousands of dollars on RUF. (laughs) And we get everything on the menu. We shut it down. And we go to a graveyard. And we set up a tent. And we put up the twinkle vibe lights. And we feast in a cemetery. You know why we can do that? Because Jesus is alive. And as my mentor in St. Louis says, we can mock death. Mock death, brothers and sisters. It will never have the last word. Feasting in a graveyard. Welcome to the Christian life. Grace and grief and then resurrection hope. That's what we've seen. Okay, landing the plane with some remarks from me. <clears throat> so I want to I say uh, two, two sort of sections here. Um, I want to express gratitude, and then I want to say some biblical truths one last time. So gratitude. I am grateful to have been a presence in your life. RUF is not my ministry. It is not the PCA's ministry. It's not going to be Oliver's ministry. It is Jesus's. And yet, God was so kind in calling me to be your pastor as my first job out of seminary when I was 28 years old, and the freshman class was 18. And you have gifted me the gift of time with you, shared meals. I've been to funerals of your family members. Many of you were at the, my daughter's baptism. All of the meals, all of the coffees, all of the desserts that my wife has made in our kitchen, all of the times that we have sang together, all of it, it has all been a gift and I have been profoundly changed by you in this place. All the time has been holy, and Wofford College is holy ground. And I hope that you've been able to open your eyes to the holiness of this place, the beauty of this place. So I want to express gratitude. I'm so full-hearted standing up here. Now, my favorite part, this is what I have not been able to like contain myself all day. I just want to say biblical truths that I've said for five years that you may or may not remember. And I just want to say them one last time. Okay, here we go. Jesus died for you. Salvation in Christ is not earned. 
it is a gift of grace through and through, full stop. In Christ, your sin and your circumstances do not define you. Your GPA does not define you. Your suffering will not have the final word on your life. Jesus does. Jesus has washed you so thoroughly with his blood that you are as white as snow. And his blood really is enough, even for the nooks and crannies of your story that feel too dark, off-limits, unmanageable, out of control. It is enough for those spots. You have had people leave and forsake you, and Jesus will not. Jesus is going to come again, and all the sickness, sin, and death will seem like a bad dream. Some words of advice, and add, um, it's not advice, y'all need to do this stuff. <laughs> Rather, keep, keep doing this stuff, because you've been doing this. Love the outcasts on this campus. Whoever the outcasts are, notice those people on this campus in those corners of campus who you're allergic to and you keep fighting to make this room Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock safe for them because Jesus has welcomed you. So get over yourself and welcome them. Taste and see the goodness of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper in the local church as much as you possibly can. Do not forget to rest. Continue to open your eyes to see the beauty of God's creation in all of these freaking trees on this campus. <laughs> Watch Friday Night Lights as soon as possible. <laughs> At my ordination service, which a few of, oh, this, I knew this was going to be it. <laughs> Almost got through it. We'll see how it goes. Some people in this room were oh, at my ordination service. Oh, man. <clears throat> <clears throat> I was doing so good. <clears throat> and William Plott, who was my pastor in college, was there. An ordination service in our denomination are like weddings. They're a big deal because we go through the ringer and all of these exams. And it, I went through the ringer. And we were there. And William Plott, who married me and Ivy in premarital counseling and was my pastor in college, he said, this is his last piece of advice to me and his charge. This was in front of everybody. He said, Matt, those students, you're going to be tempted to give those students all kinds of things. You're going to be tempted to give them your personality. You're going to be tempted to give them your gifts and your competence. You're going to be tempted to give them gimmicks and spiritual to-do lists you'll even be tempted to give them the law. And he's like, I want you to be honest with yourself. You're going to be tempted to do those things because it's easier. And you have to give them Jesus. Period. 
And it always stuck with me. And here, here's what I would say, and my prayer is that the five years we've been here, you have gotten Jesus. You've gotten Jesus. If not, I want to say it again. Je- only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Only Jesus. Everything else is a really terrible Savior, and you know that. Last biblical truth that I want to say and that we are going to sing is, friends, Christ is risen, and because of that, we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and we will weep no more. Let me pray for us.